Hello, welcome to the Baggies broadcast. A special couple of episodes for you in this international break where not a lot's going on. You've not got a lot to do. You haven't got your Albion fixed, but myself and Coxie are going to be bringing you a two-part Baggies broadcast special guest episode. And you'll have seen by now, we have sat down with former Baggies manager Tony Pulis. We sat down with Tony last week. Um, we spoke for that long. We're going to be bringing you a two-part episode. This is going to be part one, and then part two will be out next Tuesday. Coxie, it was a fascinating hour and a half, really, that we had with with old TP, Albion's former former manager. Um, part one today, some really good stuff in there. Um, we've teased a little bit of it online yesterday. Um how we talked mm. about Sider Berahino and that saga, but some really good stuff, you know, talked about his best signings, his worst signings, um, you know, those early days at Albion. And it's going to be some interesting listening for Albion fans. Yeah, I hope um, I hope the listeners enjoy it as much as, as we did speaking to Tony. He was so generous with his time, wasn't he, from uh, from the sunny south coast. Um, I think it delayed his, uh, his daily stroll along the beach. Didn't uh, I think we got in the way of... Uh, Tony and Mrs. P's walk along the beach, but um, yeah, he, he he was quality and great chance to to speak to him, to dig up some old memories and yeah, have a chat about I don't know some maybe more controversial subjects. I know you know I'm sure he spoke on on the side of Berahino saga before, but it was good to hear from you know from him again. But just more specific examples, you mentioned it there, some signings that did work so well and the ones that maybe didn't work so well and, and some more specific memories. So, so yeah, I, I've got a lot more fascinating parts to come in in the second segment, haven't we? I know that um, we'll be available to, to Baggies fans soon, but, yeah, we certainly... Uh, it was a good get to, to get Pulis. Oh, he's, he's obviously retired now, hasn't he? He's, he's firmly hung up his baseball cap, but um, doing some media work, isn't he? We've heard him on, on Five Live quite a bit and he was... He was great with his time, so it was uh, it was a pleasure, and yeah, I hope it makes a good listening. So there we go. Here it is. When the bags broadcast met Tony Pulis, part one. Tony Pulis, welcome to the Baggies broadcast. Thank you very much for for giving up your time. How are you? Yeah, all good, thank you. Yeah, enjoying life down on the south coast. I'm going to say, how's uh, how's life for Tony Pulis these days? Sort of. You know, retirement from from management is it sort of feet up and nice walks on the beach? What what does life look like for Tony Pulis these days? No, I still keep in touch with the football. I do my bits and pieces. Um, seven wonderful grandchildren, um, which and yeah. it's lovely to spend time with them. Obviously, with the with the career I had in management and the the decision we made that we'd always keep our house down on the south coast, of travelling. Um, you know that that. I had to go through over those years um, and the time I missed from, you know, my own three children. It's been lovely to be a little bit more settled and be able to go out and enjoy the grandchildren. I've really, I really have enjoyed it. You know, we've got um, two in America with Anthony um, and we go over there quite regular. Um, and we've got the five who are very close with the two girls, with Laura and Steph. So, you know, there's seven, four boys, three girls. So as you can imagine, they, uh, <laughs> they keep us really busy. I, I can imagine, Tony. Well, it's, as I said, it's a pleasure um, to have you with us today. Um, we're going to have a look back at your your time at Albion, really, which is, looking back, you know, the last time Albion were in the in the Premier League, really. So we're going to go through your, your career at, 
at Albion. Um, those yeah. Premier League days at the moment seem as far away as ever, but uh, we'll uh, we'll reflect on some of the, the highlights from then. So I'm going to pass over to Lewis. He's going to take the first part of the interview and uh, and look over the first part of your Albion career. So Lewis, over to you. Tony, pleasure. Um, it's, it sounds like you're still as busy now as you, as you would have been as a football manager. <laughs> <laughs> Busier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and just a stressful, no doubt. Um, as, as Johnny touched on it, we're going to obviously cover most of the time at the Hawthorns, but I just um, was curious, taking it taking it way back for you, you know, playing days. It, it seemed like from very early doors, you had your future set in terms of coaching and management. I think I read you took your, your badges quite early, didn't you, in, in terms of while still being a player? Yeah, I had um, uh, quite a, uh, a serious injury or a couple of, couple of uh, injuries when I was very, very young. Um, one was an ankle. Um, I had a, a, a very serious ankle operation on my left ankle um, that kept me out for nearly nine months. And during that period of time, I was working really to, to uh, try and get back into football. It, it, it really shook me in respect of realising that one challenge or, or you know one incident could finish that career and it was something that I'd always dreamed of as a young boy in South Wales of getting into into football one way or the other and being a player hopefully being a player um, uh, and I had good people with me I had good oh, good people at Bristol Rovers at the time they were really really good mentors people who, who put you on the right path and looked after you and, and made sure that um, you know you're always pointed in the right direction and um, they encouraged me to to get fit, um, and one of the ways I did it was going on coaching courses with Dave Burnside, who was a very famous player at West Bromwich Albion. Well, Dave was, um, you know, the director of Gloucester Football, uh, the FA then, and he was a smashing fella. Really, I really liked Dave, um, and I took my uh, prelim, intermediate, and full badge all during that period. I was only 21 at the time. Actually, you know, when I took my full badge, I, I did it really more so, believing it would help me two weeks. It, you had to go away then for two weeks and, and take the course for two weeks. You're on the pitches all the time. And I, I honestly did it hoping that uh, my fitness levels and, and playing football every day for two weeks um, in a quite a competitive um, situation would, would help my fitness for the start of the following season. Unfortunately, um, you know, I, I passed my badge, which was... Um, really surprising but I was absolutely delighted that I did yeah it's it sounded like you had a lot of good people around you I mean you just mentioned a couple there in terms of influences and and I suppose throughout your playing career you know you'd have as all players do maybe certainly those getting into management taking bits from you know people people you under coaches and different managers yeah I I, you know they're they're all all along the way I think um, I think if there's one thing we miss now and, and the kids need it more than ever before is actually mentors who you know have been in the situations these kids find themselves in um you know and and there certainly is a, a you know a, a massive gap um of these people now that used to be around you know even if they were just part-time at football clubs they were ex-players who'd been and seen it all and would put you put you right you know if you were doing things wrong or they thought you were doing things wrong or they heard that you were up to to no good as we all were when we were younger they, they'd certainly come down on you um and you know put like I say push you in the right direction take you out of situations that could have de- developed to have uh, affected your life um yeah. 
and I, you know, I can pick four or five people now off, off just off the bat who along the way were really, really good to me and, and really, really looked after me in, in, in that respect. No, oh, great. If I could, um, if I could kindly um, fast forward, obviously you had a great long management career, but, you know, we speak about obviously we're getting on to Albion and uh, your, your magnificent, you know, longevity and tenure at Stoke and, and Palace obviously happened before before the Hawthorns. What what yeah. are your memories, Tony? I suppose of the the closing stages at Stoke and maybe how that finished, and then and then the Palace time before obviously. No, the, the, yeah, the, the, the Stoke. Um, I had two um, spells with a uh, what was it? I think it was a six month. Was it a six month gap or a year gap there um, that that uh, added up to ten years? Uh, the first the. The first period there was with the Icelandic owners who were not who were decent people, yeah. but I never and never ever thought they understood really what was necessary and what was needed to push you know a football club forward. Um, so, but but I I had two and a half years there I think with them or two years there with them, and then they they decided to change and they they brought a foreign manager in. I went down to Plymouth. Plymouth was struggling at the time in the Championship. Um, had a lovely, uh, fantastic seven months down there. Great, great experience, great times with some lovely people. Um, and then Peter took over, Peter Coates took over. And I'd, I'd become very friendly with Peter. Peter had offered me a job at Stoke um, way before the Icelandic people had taken over. Um, uh, and I, I actually took the Bristol City job instead of the Stoke job because I wanted to be closer to Deb. More that that was the biggest factor. Um, anyway, um, suffice to say, the Icelandic people, Peter brought them out, made a phone call. I actually, you know, decided if, because if, Peter wasn't universally liked at Stoke, and if, if Peter was going to have a go at it, then I certainly wanted to help him and back him up because I had so much respect for him. And, you know, those six or seven years there, you know, building a team in the championship to get promoted and then building a team that, uh, regularly beat the Albion in the Premier League um, was was very satisfactory. <laughs> regularly beat a lot of sides. <laughs> no, and and no, it was a great time. And and they, you know we we you know what we achieved. You know Europe um, last stage of Europe, going to a cup final, um, beating all the top teams, beat all the top teams, and and put an identity on the football club. The football club had had, had wavered and and. You know, along along the way, I never really had um, enough stability or enough good leadership at the top. I don't think to to put in place a structure that would uh, would see him through and, and take him to the top and normally take him up to the top league, but would maintain you know um, Premier League status. And we achieved all that. And obviously, I'm very very proud of what we achieved. But it wasn't just me. It was, you know, the, the help of, of Peter Coates and, and yeah. you know, the Coates family along the way. It gave me that opportunity and that chance to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, uh, in between, obviously, Stoke, Stoke and the Hawthorns, you had you had another club. Um, uh, how how do you reflect on maybe that short spell and then obviously what led into into the Albion gig? Well, I, I, I left. I left Stoke. I think it was the right time for me to leave Stoke. I'd been there quite a few years. We got to a, a a point where, like I say, you know, people were wanted more, and or supporters wanted more and more. I, I believed I'd done my job. I'd done my my bit in putting a structure in place. 
Um, there was people uh, joining the football club in different areas that um, had different responsibilities, the club with the academy and with the renewed recruitment and everything else. I'd had a real firm grip on everything at the football club. And because of progress and because of the way football is, the, the you know, people were coming in and it just felt as though I was, I was you know, not, not as um, proactive around the club as I'd been before. But that was, and that is progress. That's the way football has gone. So it was the right time. And, and Peter, I, I met with Peter and John, John Coates' son, and they were absolutely fantastic. You know, we shook hands. We're still best friends. Um, you know, we, we talk when we need to. And if I go up there, I always try and, you know, meet up with Peter or, or, or you know, speak regular at times to him. Um, and I, obviously I've got a special feeling for the place for, for the time I was there. Having left there, you know, I spent a couple of months out of work and then the Palace job came along. Um, I took the Palace job. The Palace job was a difficult job. The team was Moran uh, uh, around the bottom. Well, it was, it was at the bottom of the table, I think. Um, it had no identity. They just got promoted. It, it seemed as though there was a group of players there just running around, not knowing what they were doing. Um, I was given the opportunity to bring in uh, three or four players that really, really helped the cause. And obviously, we had a, a fantastic season. We stuck an identity. It was a different identity. We couldn't play the way that we'd played at Stoke. At Stoke, we were very, very strong. Um, people say direct. I don't think we were as direct as people made us out to be, but we played that game. We wanted people to think that we were that direct, especially when they came to the Bet365 Stadium. Um Going to Palace, we didn't have those those characters. We didn't have the the, the power power that we had at, at Stoke. But what they did have, they had two fantastic wide players, Punchin and Balassi, and that yeah. was really every everything that I put together really in in those first couple of months was really to um, make sure that we were set up for those two to play when we got the ball, and they they were. The two of them were absolutely fantastic. I had a lad, Shamak, the French lad who played just behind Cameron Jerome. Shamak was a top player and had the ability to to help us play through the pitch when we needed to. I brought Joe Ledley in, who played with uh, with um, Jedinek in midfield, two very strong old in midfield players. I brought the, brought the lad, Scott Dan and Wayne Hennessy. Hennessy in goal, Scott Dan played centre-half. So we really firmed the middle of the pitch up, made it nice and strong. Um, and we had that, the, those, like I say, those two out wide and Shamak, yeah. who really were the, the icing on the cake. But we played completely different, um, and we had to play completely different to the the way that we played at Stoke. Um, so it was good. It was a good experience. It was uh, a good experience to actually understand and recognise, um, you know, that you can get results in different ways. Um, yeah, if you listen to people today, apparently there's only one way to play, um, and, and which is ridiculous, really. It's, it's all about the players and getting the best out of the players um, in respect of their strengths within a team framework. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and anyway, that finished. Um, my first game, actually, watching the Albion was at West Ham over okay. Christmas mm -hmm. when, um, when, when we drew one each. 
Um, I'm not sure uh, who scored the goal that day. Was it Sessignon or, or, or I can't remember? Was it? It might even Johnny, have been Simon. Can you remember, <clears throat> can you remember that? Game? Sorry, chaps, I was on mute then. I think it might be Sider Berliner, I think. Was it one yeah. or four? Yeah. Well, I, 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 my son was over from America actually, America, actually. So I took Anthony to the game. We sat in the stand, and again, you know, that you're looking at the team and you're thinking, I was trying to find, you know, what what were they trying to do? What were they trying to achieve? That's yeah. my big thing as a, as a team, not individually. They had some good individual players, but what were they like as a team? What were they like um, as a unit and everything else? So, you know, I think myself, I think you you know, you got to identify yourself, and I was very pragmatic but purposeful as a manager. Um, and I always wanted to produce teams who were united and together. So they were always, as a group, they were always a lot stronger than what they were as individuals. And, and you know, looking at that game, I can remember that game and thinking, driving back, because there was a game, I think, uh, two days later, driving back to uh, to the training ground for the first time, thinking about all the different positions and all the different scenarios, looking at, uh, I can remember sitting in the car with my son and looking at all the players that never played and wondering whether they could fit in, if I knew them and what we could do and everything, because they were in a pretty precarious position themselves at the time. So, yeah, it, 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 it was uh, that game was interesting and I was so pleased I'd watched it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, your answer there is a perfect, perfect segue into what I was going to ask next. I was that, that winter 14 turning into New Year, um, the Hawthorns obviously comes calling you you've already mentioned you've you know faced off with Albin in the Premier League no end of times times already but it was on the back of Alan Irvine wasn't it um from from that summer and I, I was actually going to say what what did you see when you came in you know what what did you immediately think right I've got to sort this out for us to have any chance you, you sort of touched on it there well I I, I knew Alan Alan's a, I, I, a tremendous respect for Alan I think he's a wonderful person good football man one so I'd actually spoke to Al, I gave him a ring and, and asked mm-hmm. him about the job and the position and everything else and the players. And I think there'd, there'd been a big recruitment that year and there was quite a few, you know, players who came in, um, foreign players, players from different leagues and this, that and the other. And there, there, there was a there, there was quality there, but there was a mishmash of, yeah, you know, everything. It was like, you know, it was like going into a, a tailor's and picking a yellow shirt and a red jacket <laughs> and a pair of brown trousers and pink shoes. You know, they, they, they could all fit with something, but not together. And it just felt that way. So, you know, the the, the saving grace, really, for, for the club was that the club had people like Foster and, and Bull Mile and Jonas Brunty. You know, Mozza, Yaka, Macaulay, people like that, who were a very, very strong unit and a, a strong group of players who, who had proved themselves to be Premier League players. And what what you had to do was really unravel things. And I, I looked at the team and I didn't think the team was going to score a lot of goals. I didn't think there was a, a there was a lot of goals in the team. Sido obviously came through that season. Um, and was absolutely fantastic. And, and you know, him and Brownie up front, um, you know, they, they managed to get us, you know, the goals that we needed really to to end the season quite well. Yeah, yeah. You were, um, 
on the pitch, your first game was was one of those um, dodgy, tricky looking LFA Cup early ties, wasn't it? Um, you'll remember, which obviously went well in the end. Sido heavily involved that day. So just reflections on that. And, and as well, Tony, your, your first window uh, wanted to obviously arriving in the January, wanted to talk about bringing someone like, you know, Fletcher and Darren Fletcher and just what an important move you felt that was and, and what an you know, influence he had. Yeah, I can remember the cup game. I actually wore a suit, um, which was really, you know, I can remember <laughs> walking down by the side of the pitch, having a suit on. I felt so uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> now, Fletch, you know, going going on to, to Darren, I, I, you know, I want to, you know, people ask me about players that I've worked with and people I've, I've, I've worked um, who have been an influence in the dressing room and obviously at all the clubs I had going back going back to, to when I started at Bournemouth, Gillingham, all, all those clubs, there was always big influences. There was always people and I like strong characters. I don't mind a little bit of confrontation if, it, if it's needed, um, but I do like strong characters in the dressing room and Fletch was brilliant. He's a, he's a, he's a gentleman um, but a top, top top professional and he led by example you know he's not a shouter and all um but he knew the game um i spoke to sir alex about him and you know he gave him such a great great reference it was frightening um and i don't think i don't honestly think that i've signed a better player than than darren yeah yeah in um having a look uh back before doing this this podcast we were looking at the transfer windows as well and and another arrival that month was was um Callum McManaman wasn't it on a, on a fee from Wigan and it's 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 interesting how you know I suppose how some some transfers go some some don't so how, how do you look back at a player like like him you know young quite a young lad then at the time wouldn't it have been um obviously made I, 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 yeah we we played against Wigan a few times and, and uh he caused us some problems I thought mm. he was a, a, a threat um but I you know he came in and he, he wasn't he wasn't what I wanted really from a, a very very you know you, you make as a manager, you make mistakes um, and you have to be big enough at times to hold your hand up. Um, he just didn't fit what I wanted. And there was, you know, certain things that were going on around him as well. Um, he just didn't fit the bill. Um, and, you you know, like I said, we talked about Fletch being a positive. You know, Callum was one of them. I don't think ever hit it off at the Albion. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when, when, when you look back, uh, it was most probably one of those signings that, yeah, as you said, didn't happen. The the um the rest of that 15-16, Tony was was obviously memorable. You know, he had an, an unbeaten February, I think. He managed to get you know clean sheets in in the unit and some great wins against some of the the big hitters in the league, obviously, and and a good finish. Do you reflect? Well, on well, that well, well, well yeah, what we actually did because I I've been at Palace and we had two wingers who were really like I say, I thought they were special players. Punchin was yeah. a great footballer. You know, he never gave the ball away. He was intelligent. He'd come in the pockets. He would leave room for people, um, and he could he could uh, see a pass. Balassi was just direct and positive and unplayable at times. Absolutely unplayable. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the Albion, and, and Sessegnon was a little bit um, hit or miss. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the times, I think if you, if you look back, we actually played Brunty and, and James as the two wide players. And we actually brought them infield. So we actually played 4-2-2-2. Two, two, two. We, we, we had Brownie and Berahino there. So we played mm. completely different than what I'd done at Stoke and what I'd done at Palace. 
because that was the strength of the players that we had within a team. And we, 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 you know, I thought we did really. I can remember beating West Ham at home. Was it three nil or three one or mm-hmm. one of them? Uh, um, you know, and Sam, I think Sam was manager at at, uh, at West Ham at the time, and they played with two old in midfield. I think they played with two old in midfield players, and we got Brownie and and Sido to go around the two two midfield players to make sure they couldn't control play and allowed the two centre halves to have the ball, and we would press from the centre halves having the first pass into midfield or whatever, and it just worked the treat. And the lads were. Very respondent to you know the the different things that I wanted from them in different games, um, but as you said, you know they were they were, we we found an identity. Uh, there was a a better balance about the team, um, and you know Sido and Brownie, like I say, they they gave us that cutting edge that you need. Yeah, yeah. There was um there was a wonderful cup run. Obviously, we mentioned your first game being Gateshead, but it went all the way to the the last eight, didn't it? We've obviously um. What what was a huge tie against against rivals and probably remembered for not so nice reasons I guess all these years down the line. Are you recollections from that day? Which one was that? Tell me what, what? the Villa the Villa sorry. Oh, the Villa game. Yeah, no, I'd forgot all about it. Forgot oh, apologies <laughs> for that. Sorry to drag <laughs> it up, Tony. Do we want to talk about them? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, wash them away. Let's talk all about the positives of the Albion. Forget that lot. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. No, I mean, yeah, no, that was that was um, that was a real disappointment, um, and a real disappointment after the game as well. The way the referee handled it, um, I never said nothing at the time, or didn't say a lot about it at the time. But no, I was, you know, the, the, there was a couple of games against against those that lot that uh, disappointed me, especially at uh, at Villa Park. But you know, yeah, 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 you move on, you move on. The um, it comes to to that summer and you had your thirteenth place place finish. You you first you know your your first half of a season at Albion and you, the likes of you know you you bring in Rondon, don't you? You bring in Johnny Evans and was it to to hope you know to expect to to go better? Was that the target? Would you say? Or? I just I just thought they were you know Johnny. I spoke to Fletch about Johnny. Spoke yeah. spoke to Sir Alex again about him. Um and you know they both said you keep him fit. You know he's an absolute fantastic player, and and he's most probably one of the uh, the best players technically I've ever worked with. Um, I liked yeah. him. He was he was he was hard work at times. He'd have you know he'd have his say and everything else. But like I say, I, I didn't uh, I didn't treat him any differently to any of the. Well, I always try and tried to treat all the players the same. Never you know whether they were 16 or 18. I always tried to give them the respect that. I think they deserve, but also, you know, if I felt they were out of order or I felt they were they were not towing the line, then they get told. Um, so me and Johnny had a couple of, um, you know, real good um, arguments about certain things, but <laughs> I've tre- a tremendous respect for him as a player. And I just thought he brought a lot of quality to the team and a lot of quality to the football club. You know, the training, you bring people like that in and the training just goes up through the, it's not yeah. just what you see on the pitch. You know, it's the way you train the lads. Seeing Johnny play, and you know he could play anywhere. Johnny, he, he was that that good a player. You could have played. Him. I did play him in midfield a few times. You could play him in midfield. You could play him up front. He was just a fantastic footballer. But he had this. I think he'd had a couple of injuries when he was when he was younger, and I think he was always concerned that 
with an injury, whether he played through it, he would make it worse or make it, you know, you know, unretrievable then afterwards. So you you had to be really strong with him, and, and yeah, we had uh, a few funny incidents where we we managed to get him on the pitch um, <laughs> when he thought he wasn't fit. And you know, the one game I think I've, I've told people about it. You know, we he didn't train all week. He didn't think he was going to play. I told him to turn up at the game with his suit. He turned up at the game, and I named the team, and he was in the team. And he came and knocked on my door and said, "Bro, I haven't trained. I'm not fit." And I just said, "John, the team needs you, mate. You know, you, you get out there. Give us twenty. Give us twenty minutes. You walking out on the pitch, the supporters and the team." He went out and played the full ninety minutes and was the best player on the pitch. And and that was Johnny. He was he was like I say, very very conscious of any injury that he had. Um, and a lot of the times it was worry that he didn't need to worry about. But yeah. great player, great player. And, can uh, I just uh, ask you a question there, Lewis, on, just on that? You mentioned there about him being like versatile. He played in a lot of positions, didn't he, Tony? You know, there was times at Albion where you played with, with four centre-halves and, and and Johnny Evans would sometimes <laughs> play, play left-back, wouldn't he? he? And he was tremendous there, you know. Was that yeah. was that a difficult sell for someone who's traditionally a centre-half or, well, yeah, he or want, he want, he, Johnny wanted to play in his position but yeah. you know, you'd have to convince him that he was doing it for the team not for himself yeah. there was no and like I say Pep's doing that at the moment playing with that's it yeah. yeah Um, and you know we've got Klopp wearing a hat and white trainers as well so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> your influence Tony <laughs> yeah. no Johnny 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 always wanted to play at, at centre-half Um. And when you moved him, you know, I was playing. I played him right back, left back. I played him in midfield one game. Um, he'd always have, you know, his reservations about doing it. But I thought, yeah, you know, I just thought he was a terrific player. Put his boots on and go out and play. He was usually one of the best, if not the best player on the pitch. And, and a quick, um, a quick word for Rondon as well, Tony. He was, he was very influential in front of goal, wasn't he? For yeah. Yourselves and, and big with the supporters. Well, I, I, I you know, I drunk. Um, Pellegrini, Pellegrini had worked with Solomon at, uh, at Mallorca. Yeah. Um, and obviously he was manager of Man City at the time. And I'd spoke to him and he just absolutely, I just said, listen, I've, I've seen his attributes. He's strong, he's powerful. And, you know, I think he'll do well. What's his character like? And he just said, he's fantastic. Absolute great lad. Will give you everything. Every game he plays, whether he plays well or bad, his character is first class. Don't worry about that. I spoke to Yak. I think Yak did a little bit of research for me. Being from South America, you know, he knew bits and pieces that were going on. And he was a great uh, lad, um, Claudio. Um, and he came back with the same, you know, the, the, the same opinion that the kid was a, a really, really good character and would, would blend in, you know, to our um, attributes and our identity and what we wanted from the team as a team. And yeah, you know, he's, he was, you know, I take South Americans, the little fullback, what was the little fullback's name? Gamboa. Um, Gamboa? Yeah. I can, I can remember taking Yak, uh, Gamboa and Solomon to the Italian restaurant one of the time for one night and having their families there together. And me and Kempi went in there and sat with them for an hour, bought them some uh, food and this, that and the other. And just listening and, and seeing them together. You just knew they were good people, you know. They're good family people, good people. And Solomon was, you know, he'd, he'd only just joined, so I really wanted him, him to make him feel as though he was he was at home and 
um, being part of it. And just sat there, we came, you know, and coming out, walking out the restaurant. We didn't stay there all night with them, obviously. Um, we didn't want to ruin their night. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, you just walk out, and I can remember saying to Dave, you know, they, they, they're just good people. They, yeah. you, know, they, you look at them and you feel it, and you think, yeah, they're they're really good people. They're good good people to have at this football club. A slightly left field one, Tony. Quickly, if I'm if I may, uh, that still interestingly gets brought up to this day because of how this this lad is doing. I wonder if I could just ask you quickly about Serge Gnabry, um, who yeah. obviously had little little time on the pitch at, at the Hawthorns, but I mean, uh, not not a, gone on to have a, a too bad a career. Well, well, two two things there. He wasn't our player. Yeah. He was Arsenal's player. And it was almost the last day of the window when mm. um, Baldy rang me up and said, take Serge. <laughs> uh, he said, you know, you'll either make or break him. Um, he's been nowhere near what we thought he was going to be. And I said, OK, I, I, just to, I knew Baldy really well. I said, we, we can get one more in on loan. Um, and we brought him in and... Yeah, you know, when you get brought off in a reserve game after 30 minutes or 35 minutes at the Albion, I think they played Aston Villa. And, uh, oh, blimey, who was taking the reserves then? Oh, his name. Oh, blimey. Yeah, like Jimmy Shan or anyone like that yeah, at the time? Jimmy. It might have Shan, been Jimmy. Yeah. I actually, I went down to London. It was a Monday night. I actually went down to London um, to watch a game. I was watching another player. Um, in a reserve, I think it was a reserve game. So I didn't watch that game, but David was there, Kempy was there, and Jimmy was taking a team. And Jimmy, and I've always said to, to whoever takes the team, listen, never mind what players they are in respect of statue, name, or anything like that. If you don't think they're doing it, take them off. Mm-hmm. Don't don't think I've got to keep them on because the gaffer says, you know, or he's one of the gaffer's players. You don't think he's doing it, you get him off. And I think that night Jimmy brought him off. I think you, you can check check on this. Um, yeah. And I just think that you know people say to me, well, I'll, I'll give you one funny story. When, when he started, he, he went where did he go? Verde Bremen. Arsenal sold him to Verde Bremen for about five million pounds. And then he goes on to Bayern Munich. Kempy rang me up and said, "Have you seen Canabri at Bayern Munich?" And I hadn't. Yeah, he scored. And he said. He can't be him. It must be his brother. <laughs> because he was honestly, you know, some people say to me, well, the best thing that happened was him going to your place and not getting in the team because yeah. that yeah. lighted him up. And I know supporters, you know, you don't not pick your best players. If we had Gnabry playing the way he playing at Bayern Munich, you'd have him in the team Happy week days. in, week out. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, how, you get, how you get some supporters saying, well, he's did this and he did. It's absolutely crazy. They haven't got a clue. Not yeah. a clue. Yeah. I, um, I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> John, Johnny, in his section of the uh, the pod, is going to um, we're going to get onto that full season and the the times you had the the success in in that campaign. But in my section, I'd like to ask you about um, about Sido, um, yeah. someone I know you've you, you've you've spoke on at length over the years. But um, you know what. What a what a great prospect he was! What a time he had with you, you know the club in the Premier League, and uh, you know how how do you reflect back on maybe the you know, the earlier times of his Albion career, and then well we got, yeah, with great sadness in 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 lots of respects. Um, <clears throat> he was fantastic for me that season, absolutely fantastic, and 
you know, I liked him. He was, I had a, a chair in my room in my office and I used to bring the younger players in and put them on the, the, the I used to call it the naughty chair. So if I, if I knew the kids had been up to something, I'd get them in, they'd have to make me a green tea and I'd sit down and I'd then, so I had side almost probably in my room more than anybody else. Um, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what really affected him. There was the opportunity and the chance that year for, um, for, for Tottenham to sign him. Yeah. Uh, and Tottenham had um, offered money, they'd offered players, and I am absolutely convinced that the agent had told Sido the deal was definitely going to be done, that Jeremy was going to agree to it and the deal was definitely going to be done. Um, and it got to a stage where um, I don't know hours to go, um, four or five hours to go, that I realised that wasn't going to happen. Up until that point, I'd left all the negotiations with Daniel Levy and with Jeremy. Um, so th those two fought it out. Um, and uh, Sido had played up a little bit. Um, and I think that most probably um, annoyed Jeremy a little bit um, because obviously the club had, had really looked after him and brought him through the system and everything else. Um, so anyway, the deal wasn't done. And that he never, in my opinion, Sidon never, ever, ever reclaimed the form that he'd showed uh, before, which is a sadness, really, because I, I, I went round, I can remember going round his mum's house, or his house, his mum was living with him and spending some time with mum and, and Sidon privately. Um, just to find out a little bit about his character and everything else. And, and you know, behind all the um, rigmarole that surrounds, you know, such a good player, good young player, he was quite an insecure kid. And a lot of it was bravado. He got himself in, in trouble with certain people and with certain things that he should never have got involved in. And things that you know were happening before I even came to the football club. And that's when I, I talk about mentors mm. and about people. You know, side I don't think Sido had anybody he could ever rely on to go back to or someone who would sort of like pick him and say, Sido, listen, I've known you since a 12, 13 foot you don't do that. That that that's not gonna help you. And refusing to train, not turning up, not doing this, not doing that. You know, it was just absolutely ridiculous. And every time I pulled him in, he just said, I want to go to Tottenham, Gaffer. I, I, you know, I've got this da-da-da-da-da, and I don't know why the chairman's not doing it, and this, that, and the other. And you try and say, listen, Sido, if they do it, they do it. But if they don't, mate, you've got to carry on playing. And you've got to carry on playing at a good club in the Premiership. It's a good club. It's not It's not a, a run-down old club that's in the fourth division. This is a Premier League club, a proper Premier League club. But I just couldn't, uh, you just couldn't get through to him. And I, th I really do think there was a lot of stuff. And it, not just one agent, but there was two or three agents trying to get involved with it as well that were blowing smoke um, up his nostrils and clouding his thoughts and his, his attitude. And it, yeah, really, really sad because, like I say, behind all the, the stuff that you've seen and, and, and yourself as supporters, behind it, he was quite, he, he was quite a insecure boy um, yeah. a nice boy 
obviously by this stage of you know your experience management career you you'll have dealt with countless one to eight players you know sort of maybe more messy transfers so once you mentioned the closing of that deadline once you, you had to carry on post that was that a particularly difficult uh, part of well, you know, it, your management it, there? yeah he completely closed down he mm. sort of like stopped training with us he was making excuses he was you know he was not doing this he wasn't doing that he just completely thought that and this is where you know you don't know whether the people behind the scenes were telling him do this and they'll get fed up with you you know and then you know they'll sell you you know they won't yeah. have especially Tony Tony won't have anybody around him who he doesn't like or he doesn't he doesn't think is good for the team or the club you know, da, 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 normal stuff. The chairman won't have that. The chairman won't have this. We'll get to a deal in the end. And unfortunately, they didn't get to that deal. And Seidel played that game and played that card. And I don't think, I don't. I think he lost a lot of respect within the dressing room with the players as well by, you know, his antics. I don't think he ever realised um, or ever thought that if the deal fell through, I've got to get back in that dressing room and I've got to get back yeah. in and show the supporters, you know, what I, what I can do and what I can achieve. Because you had a particular, oh, you already mentioned the close unit you had there, hadn't you, Tony, with all those experienced sort of proper professionals um, that, yeah. that I imagine aren't going to be best pleased with this, the sort of antics that were going on. No, he'd, he'd, he'd lost, I think I think he'd lost the, the respect that he'd gained the previous year because of his goals, because of the way he played. Yeah. Um, I think he'd, he'd, that had all been washed away by what had happened in those three, four months. I think um, subsequently he'd, he'd still play, wouldn't he, in the in the odd game or? or he was. Ne- I, ne- I never, I never ever thought that you know, looking at him, looking at his eyes, and looking at him mentally, I never ever thought that he was really then um, a part of yeah the Albion. Yeah, yeah. I never thought yeah. that he he, he, he was. The sooner we could move him on, the better, really. It's it's always easy to look look back with hindsight, isn't it? And the obviously interest from from numerous clubs and numerous reported offers of fees. I, I guess you know Jeremy Peace and Albion had their had their price and asking price, but you know thinking back, should should things have happened earlier for all parties? Do you think? Well, you better speak to Jeremy about that. I think <laughs> I, I, you know, I, listen, I, I had. You know, I haven't spoken about the chairman, but I had a great relationship with with Jeremy. Jeremy was, and, and I know a lot of people didn't like Jeremy, but Jeremy was really straight with me, and I mean really straightforward. When I took over the job, he told me what the situation of the club was. He told me exactly what he wanted, what he wanted me to do. He would never interfere. Um, he was very good. If we had a bad result on a Saturday, um, it was very similar to Peter. You know, he'd pick the phone up and have a chat with me and say, don't worry about things. We'll get back on track next game and this, that and the other. I got on really well. When it For home games, we'd yeah. always go out and have a bite to eat on a Friday night together, the two of us. We'd talk about things and this, that and the other. And I found him a very engaging um, person, uh, very intelligent. Um, he knew, he knew um, what he wanted in respect of the football club and what he want, was trying to achieve and everything else. Um, and, and, you know, I've worked with some chairman who've not been um, straight and, and, but Jeremy was, he was, he was really, really straight down the line and everything that he said he was going to do, you know, he backed it up by doing it. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I knew, I said to Sido early on, you've got two people 
You've got Daniel Levy, who's renowned for squeezing the last pennies out of people. <laughs> and you've got Jeremy, who's diagnosed as well. So you've got two people banging their heads together. And don't be surprised, Sido, if this doesn't get anywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. Because he ain't going to take a step back and he isn't going to take a step back. So, you know, but obviously there was other people telling Sido who was going to be done and it was just a matter of time and Jeremy would take the money in the end. Do you, do you uh, just finally from from me, Tony, and, and on this subject as well, Sido's stayed in the game, hasn't he? You know, obviously gone and played played European, you know, European leagues and stuff. And there have been other bits in, in the media about him. Do you, I don't suppose you remained in in contact after his exit or anything like that or no well he, he, he went to Stoke didn't he and that, that stopped yeah. me from really talking to him because they were our rivals and I didn't want to be interfering with what Stoke were doing certainly you know with with my relationship with the people at Stoke um so I, I didn't uh, I didn't really uh, push that forward um but it, it, it has, it's one of those, you know, you talked about McManaman come in and, and they leave. You know, I didn't even remember Callum was at the football club. So, you know, that's so much, you know, he, he, but I do, I do at times sit back and look at Sido and think, you know, what, what a waste that was. And, you know, what, what an opportunity the boy had put himself in. He put himself in that position by playing so well for us and by scoring goals. And that all, and, and David, you know, Kempy was a great, great lad at seeing things. And Kempy said to me, he, he won't, by missing all the training sessions, by doing what he's doing, he will not be the same player at this football club. Yeah. And it yeah. turned out to be, you know, he turned out to be correct. The, the very first thing he said on when I mentioned Sado was, was sadness. And actually, it, it, because it, had he got his head down and carried on, you know, maybe he'd have got his, the move he wanted, but he could have he could have gone on and become anything at the Albion, couldn't he, realistically, uh, with, with his ability? Yeah, he was, he, like, yeah, like I say, it's 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 a sadness that, uh, that you know, he most probably carries a little bit every day. Um, and you know, hopefully he's okay. Hopefully he's enjoying life, and he's you know he's got family settled, and he's he's got what he wants. Um, and I hope and pray that he has, because like I say, as a boy, I liked him as a boy. <laughs>